Hey team, welcome to episode 51 of Transition Talk, where we talk about dental transitions and how to navigate the sometimes messy path to practice ownership. So sellers, listen up. This one's for you. We always say that price is not everything, and that is true about today's episode. We're not going to talk about price one bit, but we're going to talk about something that sometimes gets just as much discussion, and that is your work back post-close. So today we're going to talk about what a work back is, what it entails, just a little summary here to how long are you going to work back? What are you going to get paid back for? When does it make sense to get paid more? And when does it make sense to get paid less? And what is the true goal of that work back? So we're going to cover all of those topics today. Before we get going, Mr. Loretto, how are you today? Hello, Christy Ratcliffe. I like the prep on this one today because uh, <laughs> it's always this like, Charles, I got this going on right now. We got to deal with this. And I was like, me too. I got that going on. So yeah, we've talked about this a little bit, but uh, this could be its own discussion. It, yeah. And I'm surprised again, we say this a lot, but I'm surprised this hasn't been its own episode yet, but I think there's a lot of content to cover today. But before we get going, can I give like a little bit of an update? What's going on with the bike? Did we okay. find the thief? Did we, did we get another bike? I mean... Yes. So that was going to be my update. I know everyone has been waiting. <laughs> I mean, like I'm pretty sure the ratings... Social are, media. Ratings what happened to Christian's crazy. bike? So I don't know if I I mentioned in the last podcast, but the thief returned the helmet. So if I didn't say that no, on the podcast, haven't. the thief about three days later threw the helmet in our yard and the UPS man was like, hey, is this yours? Which honestly made me more angry Definitely. than so the bike being stolen in the first place because I, I just wanted to put a sign out that said like, Karma <laughs> is so rude, and I hope one day your kids are disappointed by your actions today. But it's waking up in hell. Okay, you steal a bike and I then didn't. throw the helmet, and you're going to hell. It's so mean. And so we searched for weeks to find her a bike and could not find her a bike. So I had a cruiser without gears. Okay. That we were able to fix because the tire had been flat for a while, and she has been using my cruiser without gears. Okay. To just ride around the neighborhood with her buds and like have a bike bike. We can't go anywhere in our neighborhood, really, though, because she doesn't have gears, and I live in a very hilly neighborhood. But that's okay. So when bikes become available again, and they're not a scarcity because of Corona, we're going to get a brand new bike. But right now, the bike drama of 2020 has been somewhat... I think you're asking our listeners to somehow just magically create a bike for you and show it up at the NDP address. I'm just waiting (laughs) for all the people who have bought all the things that they don't need during COVID to realize they're never going to use all the things and then craigslist and facebook marketplace are going to go crazy with like fairly unused items yes. and i'm going to take advantage of that so that's what i'm doing well i got to give you a kid update as well cole doesn't say a word so that's my update there <laughs> um, sure. bella has been very i don't know very responsive lately we're kind of on this uh daily communication and i wish that i could tell you that it would have been that way a year ago that we always talk but we, you know we just, just she wouldn't give me love but today she is loving on me so we're at dinner the other night with some friends and we're kind of going over like how much we budget like for kids like in college he's giving his kid 150 bucks a week like 600 bucks extra on top of the free food and everything else they get you know for golf or just whatever he wants to 600 a month for free cancel yes Mm -mm. and so i'm like dude i only give only give like 100 bucks and he's like that's cheap so I was like, I just wired her another hundred bucks. Just you at, gave at, it at, to at, pure I, I did, I did, I did. So then I texted her and I said, hey, sweetie. I said, Chad said I should send you more money. She replies back, Chad is right. Tell Chad I love him. <laughs> and then 
he can Venmo me personally. My username is Bella Loretto. And I go, he loves this. A few minutes later, still seeing no Venmo payments from Mr. Chad. Make that happen, Mr. Chad. <laughs> oh, my God. That's my sales girl right there. <laughs> that's amazing. That is amazing. Oh. All right. Well, let's talk about how sellers can Venmo themselves some money. Yes. I like it. I like it. Transition. Okay. So let's talk about just super high level. What is like sometimes we use this terminology and we don't realize that some people first transition, first go around aren't familiar with it. So what is a work back? Give us a general overview. When I think of work back, first of all, I sold the business. Mm -hmm. So if I'm in a partnership, of course, there's a partnership agreement. But if I'm doing a work back, it means I have sold the business. Mm You know, you're working at some type of agreed upon time frame. You're working, you know, maybe as a percentage, some type of per diem, you know, something like that for a set number of days that essentially has to work for all the parties, for both the buyer and, of course, you, the seller and the bank. So if I'm thinking like the work back, I'm thinking walk away, sell and how's it going to work? That's my first kind of clear, simple definition on that. Yep. And I think I would add it doesn't have to be. It oftentimes is that you're working clinically. But the work back can be, hey, what are you going to do to transition the goodwill over a couple weeks? And it's part of their purchase agreement. And there's just a little blurb in there about your work back. Or it can be something more in depth where you're going to work back one or two years. And so it's its own separate agreement. And you're governed by like being an employee or an independent contractor. So how complex, I guess, the agreement is, is often dependent on what you're going to do and how long. So typically, I would say for most practices, some you know, I've heard people say, hey, I, I need to probably plan to work back for a year or six months. Well, that's really dependent on the size of your practice, how complex your procedures are and who the buyer is and what their abilities are. Will I say, is there generally a requirement? Yeah, I think for most people, you're going to work back or be involved in some capacity for a month or two post-close at a minimum, but there's oftentimes there's going to be way more obligation to you in some capacity. So let's talk about the size kind of piece. So what if I have a practice that's 800 or so or less kind of, what does that look like? So if I take a look at a practice and I've got a seller and it's an 800 collection practice or less. This is a one doctor practice. It was it would be very, very rare and very just unusual that there would be a very long work back period for my senior doctor in that scenario, because most buying doctors are going to be able to come in and be able to do that doctor production and be able to check hygiene. So as you mentioned earlier, there are cases that I might want to keep that senior doctor around even on that 800 collection practice. It could be a few amount of implant cases. It could be a few amount of maybe some prepaids that we had at the end of the year for procedures that we're going to do maybe the first quarter. There could be a liner treatment, mm-hmm. things like that, that the, that the doctor has. It could be the younger person just really wants them around. So mm-hmm. cash flow is not as important, even though that they may only make 200 or 250 or something like that after debt. That person could be married to somebody and they have spousal income and maybe they have kids or something and they just want that doctor to be there to help kind of support them. Could be like a younger D4 or something just graduated and bought a smaller type practice like this. That might be one of those rare exceptions that we keep him or her there. But a lot of times the numbers are going to tell this story and I would typically say as a senior doctor, 
if you've got around this 800 collection practice or less, more than likely the work back period is going to be really, really short, yep. or you have to sell me on a way with the buyer how this is going to work long term. Yeah, and I think that's part of it. You just kind of have to prepare yourself knowing what your practice is. And again, those preliminary conversations that we will have with sellers, which is like, why are you wanting transition? Are you ready? What are you going to do post-close? What do you need or want to do post-close? Um, and that's something we didn't touch back on when we talked about what is a work back, but like one of those main questions we always ask is what do you need and what do you need? And the difference between those two needs are financially and then what do you want to do, right? Because if you need to hit a certain amount of production and you have this $800,000 practice, then a walkaway sale or the timing of when you're wanting to transition might not work out because oftentimes it's a one doctor practice, whatever your buyer is, is going to be able to handle it. And so if you need to make a certain amount, that cash flow likely isn't going to work for your buyer. Where if you just want to work back because it's kind of your self needs it, right? right? Not financially, then these other alternatives that we're talking about can kind of be there because you can maybe afford to take less or nothing and you just kind of want a present. So that's kind of the difference between those two. So those initial conversations we have and you should be thinking about if you're thinking about transitioning are what needs to happen post-close so that I can have what I need financially and, and otherwise. So what I love is as a seller, just for us to have this interview with you, if it's not with us, with somebody else, but just have somebody ask these questions. And if your plan is, hey, I'd like to be involved in the practice over the next five years and your practice is doing 800, the likelihood of you being around five years is probably not great. So mm-hmm. perhaps we just need to either A, have you just keep working and we'll tell you that. Mm-hmm. And we'll tell you, hey, we'd love to help you, but uh, we may want to help you in a couple of years. Yeah. And this this is why. And you may come to us back sooner than the five years and say, hey, appreciate what you told me a couple of years ago. Now I think I'm ready. I've maybe grown the practice and this is my thought about I was going to stay around now. Something. Mm-hmm. So it could obviously change. But if you're in that, I would just say at 800000 or less, the first thing that jumps at me is this is truly just a kind of a walk away, very limited work back, you know, for you as a seller. Yeah. And I think, I know you said this is kind of more for GPs, but I mean, I think this is generally true for most specialties. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Even if you like need, if it's more referral based, that buyer is going to want you to be around, but they're not going to be able to afford to pay you to do the work. They're going to want you around to introduce referrals and kind of be around in other capacities. So again, financially, it's not going to be that you're staying around to make money. You're, you're staying around to help transfer the goodwill and kind of support the price of whatever you got for the practice. Yeah, I mean, the, the number is completely changed. If it's a $1.6 million surgery practice, $1.6 million period practice, that's still a one doctor. Yeah. So a $2 million ortho mm-hmm. is, is a one doctor orthodontic practice. So yeah, these numbers are just for my general dentist, uh, but they would the change as kind of the, yeah, yeah. The, the minimum numbers are going to change by specialty. Yeah. So let's talk about again about GPs. What if I've got that practice that's a little bit bigger? It's maybe north of one three. Yeah. I'm doing kind of a super strong one doctor, clearly experienced. Like what does that look like as far as work back? Yeah. So the first thing I'm thinking about is if it's a million three practice and the guy or gal says, hey, I'd like to be around for five years, I'm really going to probably direct them to more of a partnership. Mm -hmm. So then I'd run some break-even analysis to think about maybe how we're going to grow it. But if it was that I really would like to exit out of the practice, you know, in the next two years and just find the buyer and then maybe sell it, then maybe work back, then I'd really want to dive in also to now the clinical side. It's probably doing around you know, 900, 950 of clinical, dive into those procedures to see what procedures that doctor is doing. If it's just good old fashioned crown and bridge work where I can get with somebody with one or two years experience that happens to be fast, 
come in there and take that practice over and they can prove to me they can do the work, then that's fine. There's going to be a limited amount. But if I find this practice is doing 950 clinical and let's say 350 on the hygiene, it could be two and a half hygiene days. And maybe that younger person that's purchasing the practice doesn't have that $6,000 clinical day and checking sometimes three hygienists a day experience then I'm going to carve into that person buying the business and then I'm going to figure out you know, how much that that senior doctor needs to stay back to essentially support that buyer, support the cash flows of that buyer and maybe even the requirements from a banking standpoint. Yep. And then clearly those that are kind of north of that 1718, those are the practices where unless you can find a super producer that's going to be more of a staggered sale or a partnership. It's not going to be this walk away, work back type that we're going to cover today. Yeah, very rare. So again, you start looking at the numbers and percentages and you may have the average practice in dentistry that's doing this 800. You may have the above average, you know, let's say the top 10% that's doing this one, two, one, three, maybe top 15%, something like that. The guy or gal that's doing a one seven or eight or something like that north north and even numbers like that by themselves you're really getting into the top five percent of all dentistry so that person typically has 10 12 15 years of just solid ce they've taken every course they've tasted every spears they've tasted every dawson case presentations they got systems down they've had dental consultants come in to really get those numbers really up i talked to a guy this morning his he and his son were doing a four million and the son was 39 years old but he's taken all these courses and worked with dad as well so he's been in that i feel like when you work you like you play tennis like so if you play tennis with someone who's always better than you you're gonna always get better you know, on your game because you're being pushed. This guy was being pushed by his dad. So if that guy, for whatever reason, went sideways with his dad, but he can do $200,000 a month between his doctor and hygiene, he would be that rare exception. Yep. Dad didn't let him buy in or something. He left. He could come up and, and buy that $1 million seven kind of walkway because he's that kind of super doctor like a lot of these super doctors are. They're doing all these procedures all by themselves. And the problem is with those super doctors, and if you're listening and kind of you're in that scenario, in your mind, you're thinking the value of your business and it's the business is worth more because you're this well-known name and brand. And I got people that come from all over and do all these cases. And it's actually the opposite. For me, yeah, I want to work with you, meaning that if I'm a dentist, I'd love to be mentored underneath you. But I'm actually kind of terrified yeah. by working and trying to fill your shoes because I can't do all that. I can't do the work you're doing. That's 20 years plus experience. So it actually... Or and even, a little bit kind yeah. of hurt you. Or even if you can find that super producer that can do the work, oftentimes it's your relationships and your referrals that also need to be transitioned over. And so they're going to want you to hang around. And even if they don't need you clinically, they may need you to, and they may see risk that those people aren't going to transfer to them instead of being with you. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of considerations there. So whatever level, right, whatever specialty you are, each one has this level of what you can do by yourself, what's a push that you could do by yourself. But maybe if you had some experience and then that third level, which is like you're either a super producer or you're going to need to do some kind of staggered sale or partnership. Yep. And I think just understanding where the practice as a seller, where is my practice? What is a realistic expectation? And then kind of working backwards to figure out, OK, what am I willing to do and who am I willing to look for? Right. If you're in that middle range and you you know you have a bigger practice, you find someone kind of with maybe a couple of years of experience and you want to mentor them and work back kind of longer term and kind of 
to grow until they can kind of fill those shoes. Great. Then look for that type of person. Mm -hmm. But if you have zero desire to work back or mentor someone, then you need to not look for the kind of more green candidates. You need to look for kind of the the older, more experienced that can kind of come in with, with less work. So this work back not only impacts you financially, but it's very much impacts the type of person you're looking for in these walkaway sales and being very targeted about that. So it makes the transition process a bit easier. And sometimes these one seven super doctors, they're pretty dang type A, you know, <laughs> no. they are so hard to work with <laughs> and just, you know, they, they've tried to bring on the associate multiple, multiple times and it just like failed and so they create the mindset. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If we charge by the hour for some of them, Christy, we would, we would have higher fees. <laughs> so um, we have to figure that out with you yeah. really figure out what that is that you can and kind of what you know what your needs are and it's not just like Christy said just on a financial need from you know the value of the business maybe the value of the real estate and how much you're going to get paid on on the work back but what are your needs to from a timing and what are your needs even to from a person uh, that we're really trying to uh, transition this business over to and I want to talk about one more thing we're going to yep. dive into the actual compensation and kind of what we see as standard but I also want to talk about one other thing that I see so so often So how much you want to work back post close Mm -hmm. night, right? Not just what you want to get paid, but like, I want to work no more than three days, or I only want to work the same number of days I worked in 2019, or I'm used to taking six weeks of vacation. And so I want to make sure that's built in. Mm -hmm. So our goal, we are kind of structuring these is to be flexible for both you and the buyer while meeting what is needed in the transition. Some people want to say, Hey, I want to make sure that I work four days a week, no matter what. And I always tell people to be very careful, right? Because you do not know what your relationship is going to be like on either side as a buyer or as a seller. How are you guys going to work? You're both changing roles. A buyer is not going to become the owner. You're becoming the employee. And what is that dynamic going to be? So I like to create flexibility in these agreements that tries to meet the minimum and maximums of what both you and a buyer want, but allow you some flexibility in case things are not jiving that you guys are able to kind of depart nicely. I don't want to say, Hey, you have to work here four days a week because as a seller, you thought that's what you wanted. And four months into this, you wish you were only working one day a week or you wish you weren't working at all. I don't even like the senior doctor working back. If they were working four days, I prefer that they work three days. Let that young person least have a day by themselves to figure things out. And it really just helps them gel with things. And it really helps from a mental standpoint that you've got that time off. It helps with that with that transition that you're, you're trying to make from grinding it out every day. So I actually encourage my senior doctors to whatever they're working is to cut back at minimum a day. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. So I just think it's important to know like what you think you want may not be what you ultimately want, like when this is all said and done. So just as you're kind of thinking, I always say, try to come up with like the minimum amount of time I would want to work or the maximum And then once we hear from the buyer what their goals are, because clearly just as important, trying to find some middle ground there that allows you guys to both kind of try to create kind of a structure that you can work under while giving you both room to kind of move a bit once you see how everything pans out. I actually thought you were going to say something different because I always try to read what you're going to (laughs) say. Okay. Yes, yes. So one of the things I, I think that I'm most proud about when we work with these senior doctors and buying doctors on what the work back period is don't get so caught up on let's just say three days a week and, you know, 50 weeks. So that's 150 days. Or if I want to work two days a week and so it's going to work 50 weeks, 100 days. I try to work on just number of days. So now all of a sudden, if you sell it to the seller and sell it to the buyer, 
okay, let's carve out those 100 days, but how cool would it be for you seeing your doctor to have, let's say, three or four weeks off in the summer? And they're just like, I love that idea. Mm -hmm. Okay. Hey, buyer, how cool would it be now that you're going to be making $500,000 in this practice you bought for you to take two weeks off? When's the last time you took two weeks off and took a vacation? I'd love that. So why not incorporate that into your business plan on the acquisition? And then let's figure out this senior doctor first. Let's carve out some time. Let's get this thing rolling. Let's, let's block out some time in July or August for you buyer and that you're able to take two and enjoy it. Yeah. And they, they both love that. Yeah. And so I don't know when we figured that out to do that, but we sound like geniuses when we do. <laughs> you guys are so good. Well, and I think it's just being flexible and yeah. understanding, like, what's the role of that other person being in the practice yeah. during that time and being, you know, allowing both individuals to kind of meet what their goals are without. And I think it's once you get past, like, the compensation piece. Definitely. And then, then like, that stuff starts to come to play. So let's jump into that. Okay. So there are various methods that we, we have here, and I have heard a lot of other methods. So we're just going to cover like the most common ones for the various specialties in in, in GP. And these are, again, and we're going to talk about when it makes sense to make more or less than these. And if you've known anything from listening to these podcasts, it's like every transition is unique. And so there's going to be all these variables that kind of tell us where that needs to land. But I think it's important to know what the world is, at least the way that the normal world is. And so you kind of know when you get a proposal or you're talking to a seller or a buyer, hey, this is kind of what is expected. And you kind of start setting your expectations in the right frame of mind. So let's cover GP first. So if there is an expectation of clinical work, let's focus there, right? They need me to do clinical or they may need me to do clinical. What is a normal percentage or normal kind of compensation method? Yeah. So for my senior doctors, it'll be anywhere between 30 to 35% of adjusted production. So if I have this, uh, thousand dollar crown that I get and we're historically getting, you know, 97% of collections. So I would get my 30 to 35% of that 970 number. Now, some sellers may want a little bit more. Maybe they want 35% of that spectrum. They may want 36. I've done it where the seller even got as much as 37. So if you're that guy that has to have that number or something, then I would just say, we just need to look big picture. And just to say, did I get fair price for the practice? Did I get fair price for the building? And then what, what is my work back? And is that a little bit abnormal? If the case is you got kind of a fair price, a little bit below on the building or something like that, okay, and you're only going to work two days a week and it's only this amount of production, fine. Have your 37% for the next six months. And I'll give that as a give to, to maybe to my seller. But in general, I'm paying my doctor, my senior doctor to work back 30 to 35%. I'd probably say between the 32 33%, I would say, is kind of a happy number for everybody to make everybody happy on both sides. And then there are times we just go flat per diem. That just 400, 500, 600 a day, mm-hmm. that's going to depend on the clinical production of the practice. Mm-hmm. So that example we talked about earlier that was doing around 800, not a real busy practice mm-hmm. clinically, but I may want that senior doctor to hang around a little bit. Senior doctor could have a reason he sold, mm-hmm. she sold. Maybe they've got a back issue, maybe they've got a neck issue, maybe they've got shaky hands. I don't know, but they may still have their brain and their relationship that they want to be there to transition. And they just, we need something, a small amount of gratitude for them to be there. Yeah. And if you get too cheap buyer where you're like, I don't see the value in that, you'll get the value. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. And you'll know when the value is not there. When the value is not there and they're not providing anything, then you can show them the door. Yeah. And senior guy, senior gal, just know that you're there on a per diem. You help out with hygiene. Yeah. You're okay? not just showing up to go yeah, in the back yeah, and read a yeah. copy. Help, help lead yeah. you know, the meetings. Help with some ordering. Help do something to create that value for yourself. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. So that's GPs kind of, so basically a percentage we've seen, as I said, we've seen other models, some, you know, maybe there's some kind of base or there's some kind of per diem that's more clinical and all of those are unique to the type of transition and why and size, right? So I'm working with one at the moment where there's more of a mentorship and more of a desire of like the education because it kind of has some specialty pieces to, to the GP. And so one of them is looking for more of a base and the buyer is open to that because of what their goals are for that seller working back. And so, again, it makes sense in this transition, would make sense in about 90% of the other transitions. But again, open to other ideas, open to being outside of the box if it makes sense. But let's also not complicate something that can right. be very simple, right? I mean, sometimes we, we get these proposals and sometimes they're for associate agreements and sometimes they're for sellers working back where there's some complicated structure about if I hit this production level or if it grows this oh amount God. or if it's this. And at the end of the day, like I understand the need for that sometimes, but in a work back scenario, your only goal is to help the buyer transition goodwill, help with some production, help the practice be what it was and help make the buyer successful. Like your goal should not be to be incentivized to produce X levels. Like we are not, that that is typically not what we're trying yeah. to do. We're going to make it simple for you. Yeah. Like we're not going to do, okay, I'm going to measure it every day. I get 650 a day. Then over the $1,800 mark, I get 35%. And then, but we're going to exclude this lab. And, and then if you use this implant, we're not going to cover that. Guys, slow down. Like, yeah. the, why are you making this so complicated? Yeah. Let's just, let's figure this out so it's simple. Let's pay the person who's working back for you on a monthly basis. If you want to go to a, a number, if they hit a certain threshold, then let me make it really simple for you. And let's do that by month. And let's have a, maybe it's not just a per diem, it's a monthly salary that it will pay these people. So it's simple in your calculations. It's simple for your call and payroll in and bonuses, things like that. But yeah, we want this to be simple. We want you guys to both be on the same page because the last thing I want is the senior doctor to be looking at the numbers and so focused and the buyer to be working, looking at the numbers and be so focused. And you're really missing it. Like Mm -hmm. you sold Goodwill, buyer, you bought Goodwill. Focus on it. That's our goal. 100%. So ortho and pedo, um, let's talk about ortho first. So usually I would say, I can't actually think I've seen another option other than like a per diem. So I'm right. going to sell the practice. I'm going to yep. work back for a per diem. I've never seen any other. And then generally that per diem somewhere in the 12 to 1500. Yeah. 12, 1500. Absolutely. Right. Right on. I've seen higher. I've seen 1700. I've seen as much as 2,500. I even worked with a buyer. The seller asked for 2,500 to work back. Initial gut reaction was like, what? that's the dumbest thing I've ever yep. seen. Happened to be a $2 million practice, happened to have a 35% overhead. The business made $1.3 million. So I really didn't care how much the senior doctor worked back. I didn't care about the rent he was charging because the business made $1.3 million. So I don't get caught up on the work back unless it's just something that makes no sense at all. Mm-hmm. And for me, the work back wasn't holding me, mm-hmm. it was how quick can we close? Yeah. And probably going to limit, I'll give you your $2,500 a day, 
but I'm going to limit the amount of days you're going to work. Yeah. And that's that was our negotiating point of just how many days. And so, yeah, uh, and I've seen here too. I mean, I've seen practices and orthos its own animal sometimes where there were a lot of prepaid cases or a lot of I have a practice that had Medicaid cases, and so as part of the price, right? Because they priced it a certain way the seller, you know, stayed on for a certain amount of time without any compensation. Yeah, did for like sure. a work back because you gave me this price. I'll work back for this amount of time without any compensation to, to help finish up some of those cases. Um, working with a very unique buyer whose seller came up with their own plan and said, hey, I'm going to work back for you for a year. For the first two months, it'll be for free and I'll just help transition things and kind of work on patients for the next four or five months, I can't remember, but four or five months, I'm, you're going to pay me $1,500 a day, which is on the high end. And then if you need me post that, I'll work back for free for a limited number of days. So when we looked at that, it was kind of like, okay, let's look at the full 12 months of what you could utilize the seller for and break that 1500 that you're only paying them for four months. It was a very low and very reasonable per diem and it worked and it worked for both of them and they both felt like it was fair. And so, I mean, I think, again, we didn't come up with that. The seller kind of looked at it and said, this is what I think is fair and this is what I'm willing to do as like a gesture of goodwill. And I, I love it. So two more examples. One could be the $2 million orthodontic practice and it has a ton of prepaids high end area where it's uh, $6,500 full treatment cases prepay for six and they just got a bunch of people writing checks. So one thing we would want to think about as a seller is I'll value the business, but then I actually have to discount that value because of the prepaids. Now, in your work back, if we discounted it, Mm -hmm. then I pay you Mm -hmm. to work there. Yep. Okay. The other way is to value the business and not discount it, but then I literally look at the cases and then I have you finish the cases for free. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, In a GP practice, high-end practice we're working on right now, there is like a $50,000 prepaid case. So we started some of the work and and build up and lab and whatever else. And so, but now we're just going to basically have that buyer go ahead and finish, excuse me, the seller's going to finish the case, but he's going to do it at his, at his cost, no cost. Mm -hmm. So same concept. So if, if I discount my value because the prepaid or something unusual, if I'm going to discount it, then you get paid to do the work. Yep. If I'm not discounting it, you know, all or something on prepay, then you got to work back for free. Yeah, so just you can't have it both ways. No, and it's the relationship between the two and how they work together and all of those terms that kind of go into the overall deal. And it's again, while we say price is not everything, it is super important, but it is all the other pieces that make it make sense and make it a good deal. So yeah, hundred percent. Pedo similar, usually a little bit of a lower. Per diem, sometimes you'll see a percentage of comp, but usually just that per diem is somewhere in the range of, you know, yep. 1,000 to 1,200, somewhere yeah. in there. Yep. Yep. And then endo, perio, OMS, kind of that range of, I would say 40 is mm-hmm. probably where it often falls. I've seen it go a little higher at 45, rarely at 50, but usually that 40, 45%. Just depends on two on those overheads. For those three specialty practices, if I got an endo practice and it's got a 30% overhead and the senior doctor is requiring some 50%. I don't like it if I'm representing the buyer. Of course, I like it if I'm representing the seller. But I think that somewhere in that fair range, standard to work back on a transition would, would be in that 40%. Mm-hmm. But if the if my seller is like, I just want to work for 50% and that's what, you know, I already set this up. If you've got to get overhead and my buyer can still make money off of that and the buyer can see that, I don't have a problem with it because I can see it's still going to work out for you. But just... 
don't ask for something that doesn't make financial sense. Yeah. And we've also seen with endo, smaller endo practices, I've seen per diems for that seller to come. So there's not really enough work for them to do, but we mm-hmm. need that referral transfer. We need some kind of relationship. So some Definitely. kind of like smaller per diem with a percentage if they do clinical work. So that's another thing. Keep in mind with any of these workbacks, you can have an agreement that says, hey, here's kind of what I'm going to ask of you for the first three months. And if you do clinical work, if I need you, here's what I'm going to pay you. But the intention doesn't have to be that they come in and do clinical work if it's a super small practice. Yeah. And even on those, some of those specialty referral based, just like you said, from, from, from my endos to my peri on OMS and process as well, is one of the things we might do in the acquisition is your commitment as a seller of how many dinners mm-hmm. that you're going to do. Mm-hmm. It could be the number, you perhaps you, you run a Seattle study club or something like that where you're involved in you know eight training sessions that you're going to have the, you'll be there for the next eight sessions for the fall and the spring mm-hmm. to help with that transition with all the club members. So it's all of those things too that we want to think about as your work back. It's kind of a work back. It's kind mm-hmm. of what they bought you in the Goodwill or maybe you're getting a per diem for that. Okay. Mm-hmm. As a buyer, I'm always going to encourage that type of transition on things like the dinners. So, so important. The study clubs as well are super important at that referral base. See who you are and see that transition and love and admiration. This is my legacy. Absolutely. I think we've covered most of what we wanted to cover. Clearly term is really important. How long are you going to commit yourself to one year, two months, three months, six months, all dependent on the size of your practice and what your buyer needs and what they want and kind of what you you're going to do. If you're a seller, you're in the driver's seat initially of saying, Hey, ideally, if I could sell this practice, I would like X, Y, and Z. And then that is typically our job, right? If we are working on your behalf or whomever's kind of representing you in the sale is to say the seller is flexible, but here's what their ideal plan looks like. A buyer then kind of comes back and says, okay, here's what I need from you. And then there's usually some happy medium in between those two where we land. And so that term, your schedule, kind of what your needs are non-financially, what you want to do, what you see yourself doing, it's okay if you don't ever see yourself working back for someone and you say, that is just not where my strong suit's going to lie. Um, you just have to know that and you have to know it's going to impact the type of buyer and, you know, kind of maybe price or depending on your practice, what that, what that looks like. Um, so knowing that about yourself and then understanding and having reasonable expectations as far as compensation, what am I going to do? What's the intention of me working probably for your entire career? Your intention has been to do as much production and be as, you know, it to all be on your books and develop the relationships. Now the intention of your production is to facilitate the growth and transfer to your new buyer and to help them be successful. So it's a mind shift for sure, mm-hmm. but it's a doable thing and it's, our clients do it all the time, but it definitely, you have to kind of think about it. It's not something you can just easily shift down into. It has to be something you go into with a little bit of thought. So I think those are the main pieces we wanted to cover. That was a what great summary. Else? Yeah. Just the emotions of this transition mm-hmm. uh, for you. We know it's difficult. I love just uh, coaching people on the phone and being able to say, Hey, get with that buyer. You guys just go away some places outside of the office, you know, usually in the evening, just whiteboard some of these things out and really talk it through and then let the numbers kind of play out. You know, don't don't get caught up on 85% valuation. Don't get caught up on 35% of your work back period. And I've got to close, you know, January 1 or December 31st because of, I don't know, the tax rates are going to go up. Just to Look, this is your life's work and and to really find the right person and really to map this out 
if that's one or two or three or four or five years from now, it's better to have a plan about it than to get a curveball that gets thrown to you from a health standpoint and all of a sudden you're forced to kind of make a decision that just so rushed and it's already emotional and uh, it's just better to plan this out over over a number of years. That's my happiest customer is the one that is able to really mentally can kind of see it. Financially, mm-hmm. they can see it. There's a laid out plan and we talk about it for sometimes years, but then when it's finally executed, it's, it's I, really fun. And I think also like talking with understanding that the same questions you were having regarding how am I going to be involved post-close the buyer is absolutely having the same questions yeah. and, and they're a little nervous. They don't want to seem like they're pushing you out. They don't want to seem like they're requesting too much of you or too little of you. So really those conversations matter of what, what understanding internally, what my own expectations are and then saying, Hey buyer, like how do you envision this going? Right? Like, right. what do you think? Like, how would I be most beneficial to you and hearing out the, what their expectations are? Cause I think most people would be pleasantly surprised to understand that both parties are oftentimes flexible and yes, some might have wants or needs, but there's usually a happy medium. And so understanding internally and then also putting it out there of like, Hey, how are we going to do this together? Oftentimes we'll end up in, in something surprising. Well, that's why we don't, we do so much work in this kind of dual consulting role. Once we can get people on the same page. I mean, if you've got a buyer and seller and you can basically be in, in principle or in theory, just like the value and principle and theory, as far as the time and and what we're doing with the building and some basic work. But if you can get some, just get them close, it's pretty easy to guide them, you know? And that's been a fun part of our business is that ability to help two people like that. And and at first when they get a little weird, like, oh, how are you going to represent me? And it's like, first of all, I'm not representing anybody. I'm going to interview both of you to see if you're a good fit. And we're not going to take on a client that makes sense. Yeah. 100%. 100%. Yeah. It's too much. You did a much good much job of just putting this together today. I mean, on it was... On the fly, it, my friend. <laughs> on the fly. All right, team. That's it. That's all we have for today. So thanks for joining us for episode 51 of Transition Talk. We love doing what we do, and we love talking transition with you. So make sure to subscribe to Transition Talk wherever you listen to your podcast. Until next time. All right. We'll see you, gang.